Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Lewis, Tony East of Forbes Sports, West Indianapolis Community News, The Fieldhouse, as well as the Locked On Pacers Podcast, and Scott Agnes, who covers the Pacers for The Athletic. We have a phenomenal group of guys for a really special roundtable that I'm super psyched to have together. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing, doing well. Thanks for having us. Me. Oh, dang good. it. No, you're good. This is what this is what I get. I've never done a four person <laughs> podcast before, so we're gonna we're just gonna roll with it. But you guys know what you're talking about, so it's like, you know, it's gonna be perfect. Um so yeah. I, I wanted to bring everybody together to talk about uh the team that got me into basketball and specifically got me into the Pacers and is is something that I think kind of goes I don't want to say under talked about, but maybe gets talked about in the wrong way sometimes. Uh the thirteen fourteen Pacers team, fifty six and twenty six, uh one of the best runs in, in Pacers history. And I think it's it's obviously a large can of worms to, to open up on a on a Sunday in March when no basketball is going on, but that's exactly why I wanted to do it. So I think my first question that I have for, for all of you, and we can just kind of go off one another as we talk, how do you remember this team? When you when you think 13, 14 Pacers, when you think of the GQ photo shoot, what do you, what do you see? What's, what's the first thing that flashes through your mind? Well, I can jump in. I, for me... I think more of stuff that happened off the court with that team than on. Obviously, um, they were top seed and uh, got out to such a great start to the season in their uh, first 20 games. But, you know, there was a Sports Center interview <laughs> when George Hill didn't get any, any uh, love on the Sports Center interview. You had the GT <laughs> photo shoot, as you mentioned. And then, of course, we had the trade deadline and, uh, you know, Roy Hibbert, selfish dudes, and rumors of a fight, and so many things were going on, um, and it just felt like that season was going to fade away. But then it was all said in the playoffs when they got it together when it was when it was go time and made a run at the Heat. But um, it, there was no <laughs> no uh, lack of entertainment that season. Now, Scott, you were still with Pacers.com that year, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Actually, not, not to butt in, but yes, because I read one of your articles today while I was prepping. <laughs> so, it's, it's not, it's not good that it's that long come. away. But yeah, yeah, that would have been my second season with them, if I remember correctly. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, Scott was embedded with everything. <laughs> every day, oh, and so. you know what? You talk about what I remember most about that season. It's an it's something that came up because of it. It was in that locker room. I want to say in the um, maybe their first round series uh, against the Hawks, if I can remember correctly, uh-huh, where they yeah, really struggled yeah, and yeah. maybe Bare barely advantage. even got out of that series, um, going down something like three two. I want to say. I think it was in that series where there was. Um, several players kept pulling Roy Hibbert aside, and that was the whole debate back and forth. Should the Pacers really specifically, should Frank Vogel change his starting lineup? What should they do with Roy, right? And of course, of course, yep. in Roy, or, uh, Frank True fashion, he, the ever the optimist kept staying with him. No, we're not going to change. No, we need him. And I remember specifically, whether it was that series or later on, uh, there was a time, and this happened throughout the year, just wasn't reported a ton and wasn't known specifically at the time a lot, how many times they had quote-unquote players-only meetings. And a lot of times it was just that starting group or the core group in the rotation. And there was one I specifically tweeted about and wrote about, excuse me, where uh, David West and Roy Hibbert came out of the home locker room one time. And I specifically wrote that uh, West was came out and he was kind of fuming in general. It wasn't at, at Roy at all. But the thing that sticks with me is I was frustrated because ESPN then pulled that and made it its own report, didn't put anybody's name on it, and just called it an ESPN report quoting me. And uh, people didn't like that, I can tell you internally. <laughs> I was going to say, you probably heard about that next day. <laughs> yes, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember hearing you know just you know, rumors about Hibbert once they got brought in Andrew Bynum that, you know, that set him off a little bit and he wanted to get traded and didn't want to come out at certain points and seemed like there was a bit of a mess going on behind the scenes but um, and it was just too bad because that season sorry tom that season yeah, and even no. the year before roy yes. was brutal like he we'd go over yeah, there <laughs> and maybe he'd have a solid game where he'd want to ask about i don't know paul george whose locker was like three down from him and the responses yeah. were just unusable. Like, what did you like about his performance? What stood out? Have you seen something in practice? Man, we're just doing our job. I mean, we're just yeah. doing it. I mean, I don't know. What, what do you want me to say? <laughs> it's like, Roy, like, you were so good. And so to me, that's another thing. I think Tom hit it on the nail at the very beginning, the fact that it's more so about everything 
surrounding the game more so is memorable than the games themselves, despite them winning 56 games and trying to overcome losing in the conference finals the year before. Yeah, this was an impressionable time for me because I wasn't really super into the into the Pacers in basketball. I was like just starting Same. college at this time. And a bunch of uh, people who lived on my floor loved the Pacers. And right before this season when Paul George signed his extension, which was kind of mm-hmm. up in the air if that was going to happen. So they were all really psyched. And so I got into this team. And to just see what Scott and Tom just talked about over the course of the year, the team go from like awesome, they just had a really good year, you know, the big conference finals run, to cool, PG's going to stay for a while, to then just everything going wrong off the court and, and breaking the wrong way over the course of the year. It's kind of frustrating. And then to see that culminate with a fun, exciting playoff run that didn't end up good. It was so interesting to see all the the, the turns throughout the year as, it, as they came down from the year before. So uh, I really enjoyed it from a getting back into basketball perspective. I know that that's not that long ago to say I got back into basketball, but uh, it, it was really <laughs> interesting to be from, from that perspective. Yeah, no, definitely. So I have, I wanted to go last, first of all, to make you guys feel old for a second, because I was a junior in high school, uh, when the 13, 14 season took place. Um, well, yeah, Scott, speaking on what you said about Roy Hibbert, uh, that was what was so wild, because in the, the 12, 13 conference finals, uh, Roy put up 22 and 10 against Miami in that seven game series, and he was just unstoppable. He made Chris Bosch look like he was a two in the paint. And I remember I was going back and I was watching the, some of those games yesterday because I was fortunate enough to buy them on Amazon when that was still a thing you could do because uh, you can't find any of the games anywhere. Um, and then going and shifting to the 13-14 conference finals, he just looks like a completely different player. It's totally weird to look at, especially because the defense just it, it, it obviously doesn't completely fall off because everybody on that team uh, in the starting five was such a good plus defender. Uh, but uh, watching some of the ways that that, that we used Roy in the paint uh, and to just kind of like, he almost was able to play like to say he's Ronnie Lott. I mean, he's seven foot two. Ronnie Lott was like six one, but in a way that's almost how he was played in the back. He just had, he was there. And if anybody was coming through the, the ball was going a different direction or not even getting close to the rim. And that just totally changed over the course of that year. I think overall, what I'm trying to think of is like, how do we kind of, <laughs> take our take our if we just look at the basketball you know we just look at the games uh, we we depart ourselves from all the stuff that went on during that season how should we remember that team because that team was i mean until the the fateful trade uh for Evan Turner that team was 43 and 13 it just to to put that into uh comparison i mean that's obviously phenomenal like other than pretty much golden state uh, in, in 15, 16, 16, 17, there, there hasn't been a team that's really come too, too close to that. Um, and with the Pacers, that's, I believe, our best mark we've had across that many games in franchise history. So that's my long-winded way of asking you guys, when you're just looking at basketball, like how, how do you think we should remember this team? Like where does it stack up? Well, I'll go first here. And first I want to talk about your point about Roy. You're absolutely right. Remember Miami trying to bring in several different guys, even Greg Oden for a stint, trying to figure out, because they had everything else figured out outside of Roy Hibbert and all of that. And you're right, the 2013 season would all remember for that. Remember the old quote, y'all motherfuckers (laughs) don't watch us? That was to Tom Haberstroh of ESPN.com. And then I think that same season or maybe that same press conference even had the no homo quote. And to me, that kind of started it all. That was a minor thing relatively. But so much of everything with Roy was mental um, when it comes down to it. He also had some stuff going on off the court. And no, that was the other frustrating thing to me. It was not the sleeping around when we're not going to talk about that. But that was not true. But I, I had so much empathy for those guys because that's... The trouble with a rumor and when you don't have facts, all right, let's create some. And so that was something that they were dealing with. Now, to talk basketball and that season, for one, that was Nate McMillan's first year on staff, which also signaled the end and the departure, if you will, of Brian Shaw, who I thought was uh, underappreciated by those outside. I think internally we all understood and saw that firsthand. Um, Those two teams were some of my favorites for some of the the end-of-the-bench guys, to be honest. Orlando Johnson, I was DMing with him. Um, even today or uh, last week, it was. Uh, he was one of my favorites. Rasul Butler, who unfortunately passed away. Yeah. Uh, Chris Copeland was excellent. Luis Scola, one of the better quotes. Donald, Sl- I could go on the, down the list. I mean, honestly, that was probably my favorite team and all that. Even Evan Turner, um, again, because every Pacer <laughs> fan wants to blame someone, 
it was Evan Turner because of the trade you alluded to, but yep. Turner's one of the greatest quotes. But uh, th- that was a special team. I think a lot of it had to do with the continuity, um, both with the coaching staff generally and that roster. Uh, and then Larry Bird was kind of tired of staying flat, and so he pulled the trigger. And I don't blame him on either of them because Andrew Bynum was dominant when healthy. He just wasn't healthy. And same thing with Evan Turner. The trouble with all that is moving Danny Granger messed with the head of Paul George later on, and then it also messed up in the current day there was Lance Stevenson because both Lance and Evan Turner were in contract years. They played similar minutes, similar roles, and that's where you saw some of those feuds escalate a little bit because of all that as frustrations mounted, I think, towards the end of the year. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, echo that. The uh, good guys they had come off the bench, one problem was that talent-wise, they needed some more help in that in that reserve unit when it was going to be playoff time, and I think that also was part of the deal. and And I I agree with Scott. I mean, I did not blame Bird for making those moves at all. I know it was it was quick, and and everyone jumped on it. And when it didn't work, it was it got worse. But I mean, that's I mean, when you manage people in in my day job and and have been through all kinds of management training stuff over the years but that was a classic case of yeah we're bringing someone in because we're not quite getting what we want out of you Roy out of you know some other guys on the bench maybe we're going to put put some pressure on you and, and see if you can rise to the occasion um, and and take us to another level obviously it didn't work with Roy <laughs> he never uh, he never yeah, rose did the opposite. And, and, and went the other way um, but I understood at the time you know that's what you're trying to do and, and they still yeah, got to the conference it, finals, so clearly didn't hurt yeah, them that exactly. much. They were looking, like you said, Tom, for that little extra punch, maybe a little yep. extra burst of something off the bench that might be enough to to tackle LeBron in the Heatles. Yeah, and I mean Turner's a you know a completely versatile player, perfect for a role off the bench like that. You would think <laughs> on paper. Um, so and and you know Bynum, he, the first game Bynum played was like three and a half minutes in the first quarter, and he had like. Four points, five rebounds, and an assist. Now that was one of only two times he played, but it was like, oh my god, this is a guy who can, a big guy who, you know, who can rebound. Because really, you know, he would either block out or maybe get the ball. But you know, Bynum was showing, yeah, he he could go get the ball in space, and and he just looked like he he would really help if he could play. Of course, he never never ended up playing. And uh, one other thing, I forgot about off court. The uh, haircut during the game by Andrew mm-hmm. Bynum, yep. another classic. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have been so bad if he didn't put it on social media, but you know. Um, so, but again, to Scott's point, they they did fight through that adversity, and you know, as disappointing as it was to lose um, in that series to the Heat, they were still set up very nicely for that next year, and you know, LeBron and the Heat are breaking up. And then, of course, Team USA, Paul George changed everything. But, you know, you, you, you got to see where they were. And they, they did kind of take on that adversity. And you, you, it would have been nice to see them have one more year together and, and, uh, and, and go at that East. But, alas, it did not happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, two things. The, the first thing somehow that I took out of that is, A, uh, how, how many times do you think uh, Chris Copeland sees the court now if he's playing today? I feel like he'd actually get a lot more run than he did with that Pacers team. Jack and the threes from he's such a, He'd be such a liability on defense. Oh, though. yeah, I know. That's but, the other thing, though, because he's slow-footed. Yeah. And just had to bring that up for a sec. So I, I remember he was one of my favorite <laughs> bench guys. He had his uh, moments, that's for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, but then off that as well, I, I, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast because I'm, you guys are all very credible and know what you're talking about. And, um, I, I heard, uh, multiple Pacers fans, uh, talking about like the, the PG rumors and all that and all the locker room rumors. And that's something that I just find very frustrating because, uh, like that's, I get like being frustrated with the team and having your, your frustrations with how things went. Um, but I think that was something that was like such an issue for this team. And it's still an issue because I think it's, it's been six years, which is crazy to say, but it's been six years. And, um, to still like look back so negatively on this team, I think is, is difficult because, uh, I mean, Danny helped bridge together an era that was marred already by, the malice, which totally shook the franchise and, and sent us into a really 
tough, tough time. Uh, and obviously, like I was saying, Danny bridged us into this incredible, incredible run from, you know, like ele- the 11 12 season through the 13 14. Um, and I think so many people just don't uh, remember it in a positive way because of uh, so obviously the stuff that we've talked about that came up. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but for me, it's, uh, it's very difficult to see that because, uh, this is a team, like I said, you know, I grew up, I, I loved this team and that was, it was basketball for me. That was, you know, that was basketball that I knew and, and, and that's how I grew up with the game, you know? I want to add one thing here. Mm-hmm. Here's another one, Tom. Remember the photo <laughs> of Roy Hibbert, Paul George and George Hill fishing? Oh yeah. That was, it was, I forget if there was any text provided. I probably was an Instagram coke. uh, post but i remember this and i asked around about it and, and they were all on fine terms but it was someone within the team suggested hey why don't you put something yeah. quietly out to kind of s- say it without saying it right and right, so right. um george hill and paul george were neighbors anything. yeah they were what six houses down or something like yeah, that yep. and so roy hibbert jo- joined the G- GT, excuse me the g2 <laughs> zone and uh they subtly tried to address those war- rumors Yep. But, you know, but that just showed you that it was a distraction that they heard them. Not that there was something going on, but that, you know, they felt like, ah, we're going to shoot back here. Um, and that kind of was a, a time that started things up where, you know, it's such a different, you, you know, you talked about Roy in the, in the locker room and, and the post, post game interviews and stuff. It's so, so different now because, you know, I, I mean, guys that always want to, for the most part, get the interview over without saying anything. <laughs> and, uh, but now, you know, it's, if they really have something to say, they end up going to Instagram or, you know, social media. So, uh, but, but you're right. I forgot about that. Um, cause there it's was another, another classic. Thing. Wasn't there another one later with, with, uh, Turner as well? I don't know. If, I don't think it was with the Lance though, but I don't know. It, it, that was when everyone was thinking Turner was just disrupting everything. So it was like, you got to smooth things over, take them fishing. So, <laughs> and then oh I remember in subsequent seasons we had Paul George a couple times when he was on a bad sequence of games, and there was one I remember we were standing in the hallway for a practice, and he was like, "You know what? It was great weather yesterday. I went out in my boat for several hours. That's why I was so good the other night." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, so like, I found the post. Oh, you did. Uh, it was Paul George's Instagram, and his caption was, "It was about Roy." Uh, and the rumors about him sleeping with Roy's fiance. See, these rumors have got to stop. It's getting effing old now, and you all, and you <laughs> oh, that, all that believe them it. are ignorant. Hashtag brothers. Oh man, uh, that gotcha. that really adds coals to the fire. Oh boy, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, I saw that. I saw that uh, earlier. I was on Indie Star. I was reading one of Jay Michael's pieces, and I definitely I saw that somehow. Um, but you know, with regards to Roy. It's interesting to look at him as a player because obviously he's, a, he, you know, you can maybe mention like Dennis Rodman, but outside of uh, Roy, can you think of anybody who made two all-star games strictly on their defense? Because let, let's be honest. I mean, Roy did not make those all-star games because of his offense. His defense is what got him in there. Um, and I think, I, I've, well, I, first of all, I want to ask you guys that because I I'm, I can't think of anybody else. I, I was looking all day on basketball reference. And I was like, I can't see anybody in here who was just strictly defense that made the all-star game. Well, it also helped that back then they had the center spot. And yes. now that they've done away with it, probably in yeah. part because of this type of situation mm-hmm. where, no, Roy was not a top 12 player in the East or the West, whatever. Um, and so that's one reason they got away from it. Now they probably need to look back at adding it again because there's a, a several great centers in the league. Yes, definitely. But I can't so, think of any. Yeah, yeah, because I was gonna say what like Tony Allen never made one. He's the only one who I could think of that was pretty much all defense, no offense. I mean, here locally, the one that popped out is Ron Artest. Now, it's not to begrudge yeah. the rest of his game, but he was obviously an all an all star for one of his seasons uh, while at Pacer the year he was mm-hmm. Defensive Player of the Year, and that's why. Yeah, and I think people forget how good of, an, of a scorer he was too. At, like he obviously he's not like a, a top twenty scorer in the league or anything at any point, but uh, he had a ton of offensive game along with that skill set. And uh, the, not to go back too far, but the o three o four season, I mean o four o five season before, uh, obviously the malice, uh, he was putting up crazy crazy numbers. I believe it was like twenty five and seven, twenty four and seven to start the year. But. I got one question for you guys, by the way, not to yeah. take over, Mark. No, I apologize. No, so sure. last week, I, I in part wrote about 
um, that game. What do you call it? You just called it the uh, malice. I never do. What do you guys call it? I call it the malice at the palace. Tom? I just, I, I don't really like referencing it, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, it's like the brawl to me. It's the, oh, the brawl. Yeah, I, I never call I, it malice or malice at the palace. And it was funny with Michael Lee and then our, our Detroit writer, uh, James Edwards, both of them called it the malice or malice at the palace. And I, I just don't do that. It's the brawl, simple and sweet. Yeah, that's, that's, that was, <laughs> oh God, that just. <laughs> I remember reading a Twitter thread of people trying to find it. So long. Go yeah. ahead, Tony, sorry. No, it's okay. I just remember a, a Twitter thread of people trying to figure out if that uh, if that fight happens in the Pistons' new name stadium, I think it's a uh, Little Caesars Arena. What the name of the brawl would be instead of Malice at the Palace? <laughs> oh wow, that, that's See, a tough one. Said pizza, pizza, and that was my. <laughs> yeah, oh. oh, that's great. No, yeah, because I remember Malice just because uh, the first time I ever saw it. I mean, I saw it on, on on TV, but I was I was seven years old at the time, so I don't exactly remember it fondly. Um, oh man! But yeah, yeah, I know we're going back yeah, for me. Yeah. But I remember I saw it on YouTube for the first time when I was like really capable of like pulling that stuff in, and it was uh, it was just titled "Malice at the Palace," so that's why I always got it from there. And um, that's funny. But well, so what I was thinking about with Roy though, uh, because obviously it's hard to antiquate, you know, how everything works out. But um, where do you think things kind of? went wrong for him. I know you, you mentioned the, uh, the, the sports center interview. I mean the ESPN interview. Um, and obviously the, there's a misconception that there was a verticality rule change, um, that impacted his play, but really it was just the verticality rule started being actually used, uh, after LeBron James made a comment, um, saying that it was his rule, that it was Roy's rule after a game. I don't know if you remember that, but I was, I was digging through that the last couple of days because I, I always remembered, uh, people saying, Oh, you know, Roy, uh, the, the verticality rule because of Roy Hibbert. And I'm like, I finally found out about it. I'm like, wow, there, there really was no rule created. They just started actually applying it. I don't know if it's true, but, uh, there was a, a post that said that, um, and the NBA sent out a memo that they hadn't been policing it properly and they were going to start enforcing it regularly. Well, I definitely think that, you know, they definitely started calling it differently. And that, I mean, that was <laughs> Roy's bread and butter, really. I mean, you know, God bless Frank Bogle. He, um, he really pushed him early in his career to, um, utilize that, you know, jumping up straight and, and using his length and, Made him many, many millions of dollars for it, but um, again, of course, once it started impairing LeBron, they had to adjust how they were gonna <laughs> gonna call it. You know, among other things that Scott mentioned earlier, Roy was a little uh, struggled mentally with different things, and I'm sure at some point that got into his head with his game as well. It still um, exists, you know. by the way, Tom, to an extent. For example, I uh, saw him in Philly. Didn't really want to uh -huh. talk, certainly not on the record. I've put in several really? interview requests with him. He's not doing those. I'm not sure he's done anything outside of one interview with some former players, I think it was. Or maybe it was a uh, tech company because he's gotten into some of that. Right, I right. think I think he needs closure. I think I need closure personally. And others <laughs> here that follow the team, like, what happened? What state of mind are you yeah. in? You're now a father and a husband. Um, there was a period of a couple of years where he was still out in L.A. and kind of just getting into tech and gaming. I know he's invested in several companies. I think it would do him uh, kind of like a therapy session. I think he should talk, even if it's not to me, although I'd like it. He needs, yeah. to, in my opinion, he needs to be out front with it and, and kind of get it off his chest. I mean, I couldn't believe he's involved with Philly, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I, I was really surprised. And, and so you would think that maybe he would be open to that, maybe wanting to get past that, you know, because the one thing, I mean, people loved Roy as he came up. I mean, you couldn't, you know, you had the story of him. He couldn't even run, literally couldn't run when he started at Georgetown. And he developed and grew and improved every year from that freshman year through, what, the first five years with the Pacers at least. Um, continual growth and improvement. And you know that at his size and, and you know, his um, – he wasn't the most athletic guy. That was just that's pure hard work. You know, that's pure hard work. So, you know, there's a lot to um, love about Roy. And, and when he got, you know, kind of so sour there 
it, it was rough, and you're right. It would be nice to circle back and and mm-hmm. uh, and get some kind of closure on that. I, I like the way you phrase that because um, I I think everyone would love that. I mean, you just remember his first couple of years after handling rookie duties himself, he was the one kind of digging it out for everyone else. And I think he walked yeah. around town with Miles Plumley. He appeared in Parks and oh, yeah, Rec. Yeah. I remember writing about that. He was the big, lovable guy who exactly. did his job. It wasn't anything outstanding beyond All-Stars. It wasn't All-NBA-type level. But he was a great starter for the Pacers and and, and really established um, that law of verticality, rule of verticality with Frank. Um, and I still go back to those early stories of when he was down in the dumps, um, even before those first, last couple of years, where Frank, even as head coach, would be in with Roy one-on-one on off days, not a video coordinator, not assistant, but it was Frank, and those two kind of hashed it out. I, I, I'd love to hear from Frank, of, or really from Roy, of how big a deal Frank was, because you mentioned the fact that Roy's in Philly. The funny thing about all that is Jim O'Brien, who he despised, oh my God, right. and tore yeah. him down, um, is now his coworker. <laughs> You're right. It's incredible. Uh, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it seems like he, on some level, has had to have gotten past it or made, made peace with it in his mind and all that. You know, if he's hanging, <laughs> if he's, if he's going in the same room with, with O'Brien, um, <laughs> you, <laughs> I don't know, you, oh, God, you think you'd want to talk about it a little bit, but maybe he just absolutely doesn't trust anything about the media. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's all outside, out of mind. I just want yeah. to do yeah. my thing. Basketball, yeah. I know he was at the uh, draft combine last year, and I briefly talked with him. He was just like, I'm just trying huh. to get back into basketball. Um, and it was kind of as simple as that. So he was there trying to experience it, and quite frankly, he was trying to get on Frank's staff. Um, and that yeah. didn't work out because mm-hmm. he was already in L.A., and Frank was just had just got the Lakers job that week, I think. Well, yeah, because that's, that's interesting. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, there was a – I believe it was in January, so it was like – a little bit over two months ago now, but he did a, a piece with ESPN. Uh, they did a, some, they took a bunch of, uh, prominent former big men who played and it was called the, the rise and fall of the big man. Like right. that was the, uh, the title of it. And I was shocked to see that they'd done it because I know that he hasn't talked any, any, any real media about what happened here. And so, I, yeah, that's, that's wild. I didn't realize, uh, I didn't realize all that, but yeah, no, that's wild. Was he any good? Did he say anything of substance? Um, he wasn't awesome. He seemed because Shaq had one, and he, yeah, uh, of course, Shaq was super jovial and he was like, you know, I would still be awesome, anyways. Uh, but no, he seemed uh, he didn't seem super pleased in it. But it was like a six minute thing. I, I can send it to you guys after. Um, like this but, is crazy. He's thirty three. He yeah, was out of exactly. the league at, what, like twenty eight. I want to yeah, say. Wow. Like, yeah, because he plays wild. with Charlotte. Is his last stop. He had a lot of last stops. Oh, yeah. I, forget if, yeah, I don't think LA, it was Charlotte. Denver. Oh, wait. Was Denver the last was, stop? I think he went. Yeah. Tom, I don't know. Wasn't it like Charlotte, Minnesota, Utah, or Denver? Like it, no. He, didn't he got traded three times in a season. Denver was his last team. Yeah, Denver was, was his last team. Yeah. 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 Even I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have his stops memorized like I do Lance's. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. That, that one's <laughs> tough all in like one season. But yeah, so I mean, kind of like like you mentioned, Scott. Um, like I think for me, uh, this this whole thing is about like kind of bringing closure to it because I feel there's just such a. I mean, you you talk to you talk to fans, you talk to players, you talk to anybody. There's like I mentioned earlier, there's just like a biting negativity with around this team, even though they were so good, and I feel like so much fed off of that into the next next year or two, and. Like in regards to Paul George, um, I was talking with Tom on our first pod, uh, last week about how Paul George was other than Danny Granger, my, my favorite Pacers player, because he's who I grew up with. And, uh, I understand obviously a lot of stuff happened and, um, <laughs> there were some things that went down in the media that were a little bit difficult. Um, but at the same time, I feel like th- there has to be a day when, when Pacers fans remember Paul George fondly because he was the face of the franchise and, he took us to the, this really awesome time, and uh, it obviously was kind of an ugly breakup. It was difficult, um, and and it ended up bringing Victor and Domas here, which has been great. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Pacers fans have never come to terms with Ron Artest necessarily, so maybe it'll be difficult. It's obviously a, a big, big, big step down from from Ron Artest to, to Paul George. But at the same time, it's it's interesting because both those teams have kind of worked out like that. They were on the precipice of being. 
uh, these phenomenal championship teams. And this one player is kind of singled out and remembered because of how that team fell apart. Yeah, the biggest trouble in all this is it's basically Paul saying, you guys aren't good enough for me. And I'm talking about the city. That's how I think fans took it. I'm, I'm never going to yeah. be great in Indiana. You guys aren't good enough. You know what? I'm going to lead you astray a little bit here. I want to win a championship. Oh, two nights later, have my agent ask. It was all in how it was done more than anything, because I know fans didn't like it when I and others even wrote it, but he actually did the Pacers a big favor because he could have not said anything, played along for another year, and then just left, and the Pacers don't get Oladipo, don't get Sabonis, they get nothing. And so what he actually did was helpful for the franchise. It was just kind of how he yeah, went about he it, it and, and what he said. And, and what struck me a little bit was his last couple of years in Indy. He didn't talk about being the best player in franchise history. So I'd love to have a conversation with him about it. It was did he start tuning it out? Did he kind of understand the realization of his circumstances or what? Because there were times during these seasons we've been talking about Mark where he was having a great time at the free throw line and he talked about yes, I want to have I want to beat Reggie and Chris Mullen's record for best best free throw percentage in a season mm-hmm. and those sort of things. The last 2 years he didn't mention any of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and that you know that I mean he, Tony and, and Scott know that after he had his last year in, in particular, you know, where he would come out late in the brown towels all wrapped up and just <laughs> was a completely different presence in the locker room after a game. Um, but back to this, you know, 13-14 season, he was all in, obviously. And that was just a shame of the Team USA thing because you're seeing him you know, doing the one-on-ones with Kevin Durant, and, and really, you can see him just diving in in his game and, and ready to ready to try and be that number one guy, and it just it just never happened. And so, I think obviously we realized it, but he realized it at some point, you know, that he wasn't going to be that guy, and and he he didn't want to be the face of the franchise if he wasn't going to be that guy, and and I think that's just what started the, the trickle down, but you're right. I mean, he he was all in this four, you know, thirteen fourteen season. You gotta remember, you know, his greatness that that led the Pacers that far. I mean it and it it, it this team won't be forgotten because you put him in with those mid nineties teams that had to go against Jordan ninety eight in particular. NBA Finals team that ran into Shaq and, and Kobe. And then, you know, now in, in with this team running into LeBron in, in the heat, you know, that's just bad timing. And obviously, you know, the, the mid-2000s team um, with the brawl that, that knocked that team off course, that was, you know, probably a championship contender. So, you know, the, the franchise always gets heat for, you know, not being capable of winning a championship. But goddamn, they're right there. <laughs> it's not like, you know, yeah, they've four, been trying. Four different generations. And now, they're, you, know, they're, you know, they're not that far off right now. They, you know, obviously they, they need some more health and, and a little more help. But, you know, they're, the grind is always on. And, and um, it, there's just all these circumstances that pop up that, you know, it takes a lot to get over that hump. Things just got strange, right, Tom, at the end of Paul George's existence here? Um, The one thing that stuck out to me was I remember learning that he was going to be at Hinkle Fieldhouse during the trade deadline. So I snuck over there, snuck in, (laughs) couldn't really get into the court area, but could see they were filming a Gatorade commercial. And I was talking to one of the producers there, and that's what they were doing on the trade deadline. And then I think later that day at practice, after the trade deadline, we were in the hall right right in front of the locker room restaurant, and he voiced his displeasure of not being informed, not being told what was going on and whether his name was shopped and what the team was doing. And that was one of the first times I remember him voicing his frustration with kind of not being the franchise guy that's usually included in those conversations, right? And then yep. a lot of it then entailed, I think, just kind of how the ego continued to, to build for a guy like that. He was oh, on yeah. the cover of... What is it? NBA 2K and yep. got his sign and just got his signature shoe and those sorts of things, and that tends to happen yep. to players like that. And 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 the way he handled that when they were thinking maybe he could play power forward. Oh and, man, I, I knew we were going to bring this up. <laughs> that was a but, huge you know, issue. Yep. The way the way he handled it, the way he you know, that you talk about not wanting to talk to me. Well, he wanted to tell me that you know why the hell that shit inside, but. 
he he made it public, and so you know made it probably worse than it was. But um, you're right; that, those that area was just all these little agitation um, moments that that came up, and it, it just you know it, it it was just a sour end. You know, not unlike <laughs> Roy's was completely different, but um, it was when when you're getting and you know I, we saw this a little bit with Danny Granger when he you know he got. He won the um, most improved player, made a couple all-star games, got the contract, and I mean Granger was the nicest guy in the world, and but he got a little <laughs> full, you know. He won, you know, he's got the Batman house, and then he he, he got a little rough to handle. And I I specifically remember uh, Paul George's rookie year, um, uh, Conrad Brunner Bruno um, saying at some point to to PG, he's like. Hey, when you start making all sorts of games, you know, don't don't turn into Danny, um, which was kind of funny because I mean Granger kind of I guess he got humbled a little bit um, with injuries and stuff, and and he was he wasn't nearly to the level that Paul ended up getting to. Um, so the scary thing is I've been you know kind of keeping that in mind as Victor's going uh, through his um, breakout here, and mm-hmm. um, you know things were getting. Getting, he's getting a lot of attention, a lot of, of uh, you know, advertising things coming up, and then he got hurt. Um, but last year would have been very interesting to see, um, you know, how he would have been because he seemed to be <laughs> tracking on the same plane. So, what do you think about that, Scott? Well, Tom, we're already seeing him control his post game. If you want to yeah, talk to yeah. Victor, go into the locker room and skip Nate McMillan. That's what Paul George did his last year, maybe two. And I don't like it. That should show respect to the coach and say, no, you talk, then it opens it up for all of us. Yeah. So, um, anyways, that's uh, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here. And, you know, the thing is, like, a lot of it for me is speculating, just, you know, going in and, and you can kind of see body language and see what people are, how they're acting and, and things. But um, there's got to be so much more going on behind closed doors with these guys. It's got to be uh, crazy. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, see, it's different because I'm not I'm not credentialed yet or anything. And I'm still working on my journalism degree. So it's it's interesting hearing all this stuff that um, that you definitely don't hear about on the outside. It's it's interesting, though, because you, you, you think about a lot of things. I mean, what was PG at that time? 24, 24, 25. It's I'm not I'm not trying to make excuses or anything, but it's just yeah, crazy. Yeah. Imagining having a multi-million dollar franchise and and you're kind of holding on your shoulders a little bit that'd be kind of wild um but you know in terms of how this team stacks up what do you think like if if they do win that conference finals in either year in 12 13 or 13 14 which obviously you know 13 14 it doesn't happen but say that they they don't trade danny and roy doesn't obviously a lot of what ifs but do you think they had the firepower to actually beat the spurs in the finals if that happens because that spurs team was incredible and obviously gave Miami everything they could handle both years. Oh, I can man, take this take first. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, um, it just seemed like what Tom said early on in here. They were still missing something, and Larry saw yeah. that. That's why he went out and tried to do something. Um, the thing I, I always laughed at a little bit was after the what was it the first conference final, so 13, um, so many of the guys, specifically David West, kept going back to something like we were a quarter away. We were a quarter away. Well, kind of, but there's a lot that goes into it. So that was <laughs> that was kind of what they were writing on throughout the 2013-14 season was that we were only a quarter away. We had the heat and we let it slip away. And I thought more than anything, perhaps you saw in that series both years was the impact of home court advantage. Um, and it certainly didn't have the firepower for the Pacers to go on that that. 14 year um, just because of so many different things going on within the franchise like we have discussed and the Spurs kind of had that all handled and under control mm-hmm. yeah certainly yeah and I think I think during that year they they split the games they were early in the year the, the Pacers won when they were playing out of their mind and then later in the year San Antonio oh yeah they got run them. over by San Antonio I, it was yeah. like a 30 point blowout so and that's well, and the, Spur- the Spurs got better between thirteen and fourteen, which is a part of why they were able to do so much better in the fourteen finals and the thirteen finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 were they were locked down. <laughs> they were not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would have been that would have been tough. 
Yeah, Timmy was incredible. Still, I feel the exact same as you guys. I don't. I don't believe that that team had the had the firepower off the bench, especially because uh, Orlando Johnson ends up getting waived. And he wasn't obviously a huge part of the bench. He was a big part of the locker room. Um, but yeah, they're. I mean, outside of Luis Scola, the bench was pretty uh, pretty rough shod uh, prior to pr- prior to any trade that happened. Thing that also stands out to me about those times is the Pacers struggled in Atlanta. To go back to that, like I don't know what it was, but they they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't win there, and thanks goodness for them that they had home court advantage because they needed it. Yeah, yeah. See, that's really interesting too because I, I remember uh, so many people have talked about how Perro Antich played Roy off the floor, and I'm looking and I'm like, that, it's just Roy, not true. Roy made him a Hall of Famer. Yeah, exactly. I heard that and name it's in a long time. <laughs> but I, I was looking. Perro Antich shot twelve and a half percent from three. Uh, in the seven game series. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if he played Roy off the floor. Maybe it was more of his own head games, but the, it got a little bit overhyped because he shot 32% from three that year. It's, it's wild to think about, uh, the idea of somebody who shoots 32% back in the day being considered like a stretch five. And you think about that now and there's like, you know, 10 or 11 centers who shoot. Uh, above league average from three. It's just wild looking back. And even even only five years ago, five or six years ago, uh, that's what the NBA looks like. I mean, David West, I, he had a huge three against the Hawks. I remember thinking he was an okay three-point shooter back then, and he was like 25% or something. Yeah, he he actually canned a few for uh, for Golden State in that last run. I feel like he's a guy who would definitely – he could he could hit corner threes today, I feel like. Yeah, he he, he hit a few cl- big ones in the playoffs. I remember he's an, he was all right at it. I just – he just never really was supposed to do it. He, he never took more than like one a game. Yeah, yeah. His mid range was incredible. Yeah, if he could stretch that out, I mean, if every big man who could hit mid range could stretch it out, the, the NBA would be boring. Yeah, so. that's that reminds me too of uh, I believe it was twelve thirteen, the Rashard Lewis game. That was the one that killed us <laughs> in Game Seven. Rashard Lewis comes out of nowhere when he's I think he was thirty five. Uh, it was his last year of his career, and he he scores eighteen points just all on threes, goes nuts. And that was the the death knell, the the final run that they had that put put us away in Game Seven. Yep, and that, I mean that just kind of highlights the uh, the depth thing for the playoffs. You got to have guys like that um, who may only contribute to one win, but they have the game to <laughs> to deliver, and and you can ride them for that one game and, and get an extra win. Yeah, that makes me think of DJ Augustine in New York, Tom. Right? Remember that one? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so. Oh, he just—I think he—he he was just kind of the oh, star oh, player for game. the Pacers, right? Yeah, he had something like 18, 20 points off the bench, and was the key guy. And if I remember right, they came back to Indy that year. I think it was thirteen, maybe came back, won it, and post game, the entire starting lineup um, after the series went to the podium and talked, and that was a cool moment. We also later on, maybe yeah. the next year, had the chance where Frank and his two daughters uh, came to the podium. That was when we started seeing more and more of that throughout the league. So, as far as next season went, how did how did you guys think about like the handling of it? Because I remember, obviously, it's different. Because I, I mean, you know, I I grew up in Ohio, I wasn't in Indy, but I, I remember uh, being frustrated a little bit with the firing Frank Vogel. Obviously, obviously, things have worked out. You know, Nate's been great, and uh, the team has really gotten on the right tra- right track. But I, it felt almost premature in my opinion, with with the way Frank was let go, especially because Paul was out that entire next year. And it, yes, the team was was gone. And David left the next year. And um, Lance was obviously gone, uh, bouncing around the league after Charlotte. Yes, yeah, so it was tough. It surprised me. And I think it surprised most of us because Frank had done about as good job as you could have done considering the circumstances. Um, remember when he came in, I still remember vividly in my head, Jim O'Brien got ejected in Chicago. John Gray, the this director of security, then walked him off the court, and that was the last time J.O.B. coached uh, for the Pacers. Frank immediately promised that he would take them to the playoffs. They did. Went first round, first round, second, third, and then continued on. And then Paul George's injury happened, and that was a huge setback and kind of a wasted year. I remember he came back for six games and then even had a calf strain. Yep. In the final game in Memphis, they lost, so they didn't make the playoffs. And you win one more game throughout that year. You're a playoff team. Then you do get Paul back for uh, an entire next season. But that's 15, 16 season. You just don't have a great roster. I remember um, Rodney Stuckey, Chase Budinger signing, and then you traded him like 30 <laughs> games in. And you had Monte Ellis. Oh, and God. Jordan don't Hill. remind me of the Monte Ellis signing. That was. Oof. 
I think that's one where we were all right. Like, no, I don't think I read anybody saying, hey, good signing, I get this. It just did not seem like, and it wasn't a fit at all from the very beginning. Yeah, that's no, that, the scary part about that was you, you really needed Paul George to be the leader, and it ended up on Tay was kind of the leader of those teams, which, because uh, he was. That's a whole different point, Tom. Paul George's leader. He's not one, and that is fine. I don't take that as a disrespect towards him, but that was an entire conversation his last several years in Indies. Can you, is he an alpha? Yeah, you know, can he be a leader? Is he the leader? And he kind of faked his way through it the last year, and it was just. It was a good effort on his part, but it just wasn't worth it. Yeah, I mean, he wanted to be the face of the franchise, didn't necessarily want to be the leader <laughs> on the court with the team, you know. Um, I guess you could separate those two. It, it's kind of rare to do that, but but that was the thing, too. I mean, there, there was – I remember the second year, Monte is just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm turning everything over to Paul, but then eventually, you know, no one would say anything, and so he would, and uh, it was interesting. These rebuilds are crazy around when, when they're you know trying to fill with with um, the veterans uh, and get guys that they don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to commit to. Now, it really worked out well past couple of years with guys like Bogey and Thad and and pros pros who came in and and you know played a, you know above their uh, what you would think on paper. You know maybe they've they've learned some lessons over the past few years. What yeah. I think is interesting, though, is going in when Paul wanted to leave. Um, a lot of, I think, what he indirectly cited was kind of lack of support, which we all understood. However, you go back to his previous comments. I remember the last yeah. previous summer in Chicago for uh, Team USA training right before the injury. And he just sat courtside and was praising. He was like, yeah, Monte, he's the guy we need. And Al Jefferson's really going to come in and step up. <laughs> I, I really appreciate how Larry Bird's not wasting my prime years and he's going out and being aggressive. So he did say that while they didn't turn out, and I don't think any of us really like those moves. Um, that was interesting. And then to go back to your original question, Mark, I think in all this, the changing from Frank to Nate, the the fun game behind the scenes that I, I enjoyed kind of laughing while thinking about was they're both represented by the same agent. So how does that call work, right? Do you say, all right, uh, by the yeah. way, Lonnie, um, we're going to fire Frank. We're done with him. Hang up, call back. Hey, Lonnie, uh, Nate, what's his status? How, how much is this going to cost us? Like, how does this work? <laughs> oh, my God. I remember there was a big thing about, you know, wasn't it just a phone call or a text or something? But when phone you, call. When you're talking yep. about, yeah, you're talking about, you know, we're dealing with the same guy here. You know, it was, it's probably uh, <laughs> not as, as bad as it sounds. And then, and then everybody tried to get excited and roll with the story of after Larry kind of shared, I think that um, Frank was kind of pushing or begging, if you will, oh, for right, his right, job, right. job back where realistically you can kind of understand it. The optimist and Frank is, Hey, give me one more shot. Look, these are the three things we're going to get accomplished. Just give me one more year. I can totally visualize and hear that conversation in my head. Um, but that was kind of a story for a week of how Frank desperately begged for his oh, job yeah, back via that. the phone. Oh, also, why didn't Larry go to Frank's house and tell him in person? Yeah. Those are the other off the court storylines that stick with me. Wow. Yeah, I didn't. That, that's I, I had hardly even I didn't even remember the whole uh, Frank begging for his job back storyline. As far as uh, things going with Larry, um, how did you guys feel about the way that he, he handled the front office moves? And uh, I remember very distinctly there were there were some some comments that he made about about Roy that were difficult to deal with because I, I remember uh, David West cited that as a major reason for him not wanting to come back to Indy, um, which at the same time, it kind of, you know, it made sense a little bit that David didn't come back because he was, he was 33 at that point when his uh, player option was up. So he, he maybe didn't really fit with what was going to become a rebuilding team. Uh, obviously he didn't know it was going to be rebuilding at the time, but I don't know. It was, it was difficult. Obviously Larry uh, resigns and goes into a, um, kind of smaller role with the organization, but I, I don't know. I feel like some of the ways that he handled things were uh, maybe not the best. I'm not trying to say that you could, I think one of the issues we have is trying to blame somebody. And I think it's just an entire, you have to look at the entire structure. You know, it's not just, it's never just one person. There's always other things going on, but um, it's important to look at things individually and, and see where things could have maybe gone differently or how they could have improved. And Mark, you brought up David West. The telling thing about his situation was he had the player option, declined it. I think it was fourteen point yep, two uh, million. 12, yeah, twelve point six, yeah, maybe 12. something like that. He turns that down to go take a minimum deal with the Spurs. Yep. 
and try to win a championship down there, um, which I don't blame him at all. It just went counter to what he told us about two years before then saying, exactly. you know, I'm not that guy. I'm never going to be the one to chase a championship. Um, then I don't blame twice. him for doing that because that was a team and he grew up um, following. He was a big Tim Duncan guy and he wanted a challenge where he didn't have to be the leader, where he didn't have to be the babysitter. Um, if anything. So he gave away a lot of money um, to get a new environment. But in terms of Larry, it, he is what he is. He's never going to sugarcoat things. And I, mm-hmm. I don't criticize it a ton because that's what we're asking of everyone. We ask it of reporters. We ask it from players. Um, now, there's better ways he could have said it, sure. But he was honest in his assessment with Roy's not productive anymore. We don't know where he stands. We'll take a look this summer. And no, I will not promise you right now on probably whatever it was, May 1st, that Roy is our starter. We'll assess everything. That was basically what he said, just in a harsher tone. Yeah, much harsher tone, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's 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 interesting to look at. Uh, th- things have worked out well with Kevin Pritchard. But uh, yeah, this it's something that I always had thought about because I remember that was one of the things that resonated with me because that's when I knew because obviously Paul was injured. But that he, that comment released, I remember I got my notification from the score. Uh, Larry Bird makes comment about uh, Roy Hibbert as starter. And I read that. I was like, wow, this team is just it's gone. The bizarre thing in all that, I, f- I don't think that was the same year. It was when when we go back to the Frank and move to the promotion of Nate was for Larry continuing to express his feelings how a coach wears a team out after three years well if i forget the exact number but it was something like two key players were back from the last season so what players is he wearing out (laughs) there's been such a changeover in the roster that that idea i that premise i don't agree with in the first place but you have such a changeover the roster i i think it was a a false idea false um uh, way that he tried to make this changeover i just didn't buy it from the jump yeah, and, and the interesting thing is, I mean, I feel like even with Nate, they, they've maintained kind of a similar culture they had under Frank. You know, obviously Dan Burke is, is a part of the defensive mindset and all that. It was almost like they just continued doing what they were doing. And why keep Frank out of, the, out of that going forward? Like you said, it was a whole new team. So <laughs> You could make uh, the yeah. argument, right? Like why if you're just going to promote the associate head coach, what was he doing right. the previous years if he could have made that big a difference, right? And I didn't mind Nate. However, I would have liked them to take another week and bring in a couple candidates and make sure this is their guy rather than that day saying, you know you know what, we're going to prom- promote Nate from within. We're rolling with him. Because we know what he is. What about another guy? And maybe this was the best call, but I'm not sure they knew that. I, I've, I've talked with Tony about this, and, and I'm, I'm wondering what you guys think about Nate moving forward. Uh, because I know he's uh him and him and Miles Turner get the brunt of just about everything anytime that there's a, a, a loss in Indiana. <laughs> well, I I long time fan of Nate McMillan because I'm a uh, SuperSonics fan, so and he is Mr. Sonic. But again, you're you're gonna bump into a point here where you're on the same thing. Where how how many years with the same voice? You know, are they gonna want to make a change um, to shake things up with the team they currently have? I mean, it's gonna be. Uh, it's crazy because I'm talking like we're going in the offseason here. I guess we're not yet. <laughs> don't know when that's going to be. Uh, don't know who's going to be healthy. Don't know what's going to go on. But um, depending upon how, if they do get to play again, um, things close out here and, and you almost have, like we were just saying, you know, half of a new team right now. Um, so it, it is a new voice for a lot of those guys. Um, and it, it seems like, you know, like Malcolm Brogdon, appreciates McMillan and, and the way he goes about things. So um, it may be a thing where they'll at least give him another year, um, see how they do. Um, but it is, you know, we're starting to stack up the years here. Um, and it's just the nature of the beast in the NBA is um, there's going to be a change at some point. But um, I, I think with this group right now, he, he is a good coach for this group right now. Yeah. The interesting thing here is how do the current dynamics impact everywhere generally, right? Um, What do you do in Philly with Brett Brown? You know, maybe they won't have a postseason to to make a run and save his job, so to speak. Oh, yeah. I think there's several different guys like that that we just don't know about. And I think Nate's safer than that, but I think they're going to reevaluate, especially considering. They haven't gotten out of the first round under his leadership the last three years and going into this one. And I think it's probably less than 50-50 that they would get out 
if everything was played as scheduled this year. You'd play the Heat right now, and uh, that's a tough matchup. Um, yeah. And I believe the t- the Pacers have a team option on him for next year. Either you would continue on with that, but you'd also be in a place where you'd really need to give him an extension to carry on because none of these guys yeah, you don't like to, to go in as a lame situation. Right. You don't want to go into a lame duck situation. So you have to assess that. I know Kevin and Chad and all those guys are big fans of his, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion at all that he is back next season. Yeah. Yeah. But see, but then the question is like, who, who comes in? Because I've seen people clamor. They're like, Mike D'Antoni should come in next year. It's like, we do not have the <laughs> roster for Mike D'Antoni. Uh, <laughs> Miles would never play. This team does need to shoot more threes. I think that's evident. You know, that's just the way math works. But at the same time, I think something that makes the, the team so special, or not even special, you know, but something that sets us apart is letting guys take shots that they're comfortable with. You know, we have a lot of guys who are quality at taking tougher shots, you know, like Malcolm's a good mid-range shooter. TJ Warren's one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. And having guys have the opportunity to take those shots is is massive. Like, you know, the, they would maybe be marginalized in other systems. And I think uh, because we're a smaller market and we have maybe not the same resources as other franchises in terms of bringing players in, uh, having that ability to, to find some of these guys who work best in our system is what makes us better obviously like i said you know threes that's been a thing that we've been really low at the last couple years we just have not been high in attempts and that could definitely be something that needs to improve or not could it's something that does need to improve for sure that that's my long soliloquy about how we have a lot of good things going on that yes there's improvement necessary yeah and the one thing with this team especially actually it it goes back to frank too but um, actually goes back to this 2013-14 team is that during the regular season, a lot of times they, they win more games because they consistently give better effort game in, game out. Um, you know, and that's something that comes from that. Nate, Tom. That's yeah, a, that's a, absolutely. That's something it's a, it's we know from Nate team. from his playing days. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it shows up and, and it's a reason, you know, they're in the middle of the, what, five – are they fifth right now? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah fifth, fifth right behind weeks, Miami. But, you know, fifth instead of back, you know, around their winning games that some teams would just give up over the, over the course of the year, you know. And that's how they've been for several years now. Um, so, and, and really that, you know, that 13-14 team, they wanted that home court advantage. They they wanted it, and they got out to a great start and, and were able to hang on, but they put so much effort into that regular season sometimes that can come back to bite you obviously in the playoffs so um it would have been interesting to see you know with lakers and clippers going about differently this year same thing the lakers have been hey who's over there frank vogel lakers have been (laughs) been winning way more games and playing more consistently in the regular season while the clippers are just kind of doing what they have to do to to uh keep pace but be careful what you wish for is what i say (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly um, and you know, and who doesn't want your team on the day you're watching the team, sitting down watching the team, or you're going down the field house paying to play, bust your ass to try and win that day. And that's something that not every game, but more consistently than most, the Pacers will deliver. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree with that. That's something that I think about a lot. I think I think there's a, an idea that some top five coaching candidate just like automatically falls in your laps. And I'm not even just talking about the Pacers. I think there's an idea in general that there's always something better on the other side. And I think with this team, like this is this pace, like the Pacers have been in the last, you know, like seven, eight years, one of the best teams in the league, not a top five team, but having that consistent uh, winning ability. We, we just haven't had the guys obviously in the last couple of years to, to make a major push. Uh, obviously we had the first round series against uh, LeBron that won seven games that there was uh, maybe a couple of calls that could have gone the Pacers way. Uh, I, I think I speak for just about anybody watching those games. <laughs> They've been consistently good, but never great. And yeah, that's what exactly. Kevin Pritchard in the front office are wrestling with. But I, I don't know. I think my point is, it's just important to remember that being being where we're at is still pretty good. Yeah. Um, like Scott and I can just go on for days talking about this. Yeah. Those, yeah. those old days I keep unearthing memories. Like, I feel like oh, I need a cocktail right. and we can reminisce a little bit here. <laughs> Shoot, I could go on an hour about Rasul Butler, Orlando, Jan Mahimi. <laughs> we haven't even talked about Jan. Can we oh, talk I know. about his clothing line? Like, come on. No, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think that's uh, just about time for us to wrap up. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on today. I had an awesome time talking with you all. Uh, for everyone listening, please go rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out greatly. And go check out IndieCornos.com. I recently posted an article about Aaron Holiday and uh, his development. And Caitlin Cooper posted a phenomenal article about uh, Demonis Sabonis and, and his post game. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, uh, shoot it to us on IndieCornos.com or over on Twitter. Uh, thank you and have a great rest of your day.